This is WMPG. I'm Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space Radio, a show about courage. The courage to talk about the subjects that are the hardest to bring up, but that we think about the most. This month's series is on the experience of incarceration. The United States imprisons more people than any other country in the world. And when we let people out, we often release people to a world that they have not been prepared for, a world where a prison record will make it very difficult to get housing or a job. I'm going to be speaking today with Mike about his experience of serving time for a drug-related charge. But before we start, I want to invite you to contact us if you have a story about incarceration that you would like to share. We're calling this new section of the show Echoing Stories, and we'll be playing your stories toward the end of this series. So if you or someone you love has been impacted by incarceration and would like to share your story, please email me at Dr. Anne, that's D-R-A-N-N-E, at safespaceradio.com. So my guest today, Mike, lives here in the Northeast, and he served a seven-year sentence for a drug-related charge. He was released in 2005. Since his release, Mike's gone to college, he's gotten a degree, he started his own business, and he now volunteers going back into the prison to lead groups for men. Welcome to Safe Space, Mike. Thanks. Um, I want to start by just kind of getting to know you a little bit before this whole arrest and sentence and so on. Tell me a little bit about what the context was when you got arrested. What was going on in your life at that time? Well, at the time, at the time I um, got arrested, uh, my life had gotten really, really crazy. Um, there was, I mean, I'm, ever since I was about 16 years old, I started uh, using drugs, started smoking pot, started drinking, and not long after, I started using other drugs, uh, LSD, cocaine, um, so my life was really uh, off and on periods of using one or the other drugs or using all of them and uh, just really it got to a point um, things just really spiraled out of control. I was using using a lot of coke. I was selling coke. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy time. And how were you ultimately caught? What happened? Well, they I was I was in a hotel room with a few other people and I had been uh I had been up for about 3 days straight. I had like just passed out about I don't I'm not sure how long before the police came in. But uh so I was in a hotel room and I I passed out after being up for about 3 days and then the the police slammed the door in in the hotel room with like a battering ram. And I remember being totally passed out and jumping up and seeing a whole bunch of uh, police officers come crashing into the motel room with their guns pointed at me. And uh, somebody, like, it's kind of all a blur now, but somebody, like, jumped over the bed and, like, tackled me and threw me into the wall. And uh, What a terrifying way to wake up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I want to backtrack, actually, because... um, you started out by saying when you were 16, you started using pretty heavily. And, um, you know, kids experiment, but 16 is a little bit young to start using heavily. What, what was going on in your life at the time that drugs and alcohol became such a big part of your world? Well, my family my family environment was incredibly toxic. 
Um, there was a, a lot of uh, alcohol abuse, um, and there was there was uh, you know a lot of personal abuse that happened to me in my in my uh, home environment. Um, there was physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Um, there was a, lo- a lot of violence, and there was guns and um, a lot of anger. Did you did you use and and drink as a way to kind of get away from all that? Is that is that how you understand it now? Yeah, I mean, it was it was an escape. It was a way to um you know, try to make sense out of my life um to try to anesthetize the pain. Um and 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 in a weird way, it was in my family where Everybody drank, and it's like before that i was I was really like against alcohol and smoking and all of that and in a in a bizarre way, when I started drinking, I actually became more accepted in my family, so it was almost like you know now i was I was okay before that i i I really was like an outcast in the family, so you started to fit in more because you drank, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so things got progressively out of control. You're there in this hotel. You're woken up in a terrifying way. I guess what happened next? So you've been thrown into the wall, and then what happens? Well, I remember actually, I like there was like a piece of wood that got like lodged in my throat, and I was, I was like gagging on it and choking. And um, I remember just feeling like, you know, like nobody in that moment cared. You know that I was like gagging on this um, piece of wood that flew out of somewhere Um, and then uh, you know I was there in the room for a short time and then I was just I was taken to the to the to the jail you went straight to the jail I see and then did you have a trial yeah I ended up well I ended up pleading guilty uh, um to a conspiracy to distribute cocaine, and then there was a long wait for sentencing. Um, and what was your lawyer's yeah. advice to you about, like you chose to plead guilty, was that a hard decision to make, or was that, tell me a little bit about how you decided that. Yeah, no, it was, he, he advised me to, to plead guilty and then to fight the sentencing, because they were, they, they really never caught me with selling any drugs, and I had very little drugs on me at the time of the arrest. But what they do is they have this thing called relevant conduct, and somebody will testify against you, and and they will base the quantity of drugs and your sentence on what another witness may say. So who was the witness who testified against you? So there was there was a guy that was with me in the room, and um, he ended up testifying against me to get time off his sentence. And it was really, that was really, really hard for many reasons. But one of the, one of the reasons was that I had never like sold drugs to this guy ever. I had sold drugs to somebody that he knew. Um, but so he, he got up and testified that I had sold him like four ounces of cocaine every week for 16 weeks. And they used that quantity of drugs to sentence me. I see. So he perjured himself. 
You knew it and he knew it, and there was nothing you could do about that. Yes. And so if you had Mm -hmm. been sentenced based on the actual amount they found on your person, what would your sentence have been? No more than 18 months, maybe 12 months. I mean, never, yeah. So I can imagine you have Mm -hmm. a a lot of feelings about that guy. Yeah. 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 Were you offered the chance if you testified against someone else to reduce your sentence? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And what happened there? Well, when the when the um, sheriff picked me up with the district attorney in the car, they offered me, you know, they pretty much told me that I was going to do between 10 and 20 years unless I, you know, gave them information. And I just told them that, you know, don't ask me again, that I just don't play that game. And they didn't. They didn't ask me again. And when you said, I mean, it sounds like you were really clear inside, like, I'm not playing that game. I'm not going to testify against someone else. How come? What what was important to you about that? It means a lot to me to be a man of my word. And I took the risk and I was selling drugs. And I knew, you know, and somewhere in my back of my head, I knew what the consequences were. And didn't feel like it was right to drag anybody else down with me. Mm. Did that help you, knowing that you had made that choice later? Yeah, yeah. So so when this guy testified against you, was that in the trial about whether you were guilty or was that in the sentencing trial? That was in the sentencing. Uh-huh. So you ultimately get sentenced to seven years. And did you go straight from that courtroom to the prison? I mean, was it sort of like an immediate transfer? Yeah, well, after I got sentenced, it was, you know, a week or two. And then I was uh, shipped to a federal federal institution. Yeah. Um, You know, I really speak a little bit about the, my my time in the county jail was actually probably, that was probably some of the hardest time I did in the course of my whole seven-year sentence. Um, it was just really, really grueling, you know, going through the whole fighting, you know, fighting the sentencing and knowing that, you know, here's this guy testifying, you know, about drugs that I'm getting sentenced for and charged for and they're drugs that I didn't have anything to do with because I never sold this guy any drugs, you know, and it, it wasn't like I was, you know, I, I was certainly guilty of selling drugs, but just not to this person. So at that point in time, it was just this huge burden on me, like a feeling of, you know, which my thoughts on that later changed. Um, but it, it was also the, the county jail is is really, really hard because you're locked down 21 hours a day. And so you get, you get out of your cell three hours a day. So you just have so much time with yourself. And I I ended up being in a cell by myself for a, a large portion of that time, and it was just so so difficult. You, you really have no choice but to face your inner demons, and and so much. It's just so hard being with yourself for that long, and and facing sentencing. And I remember when I when I got sentenced, and feeling like. 
you know, seven years is like it felt like I died at that point. I just remember sitting in the courtroom thinking, you know, seven years. Oh my God, that is. I, it just it really felt like felt like I had died at that moment. Right, because you already knew how hard it had been up until that time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when you say it's like it kind of forces you to face your own demons. Like feel the things you didn't want to feel, feel the things you were trying to anesthetize before. Yeah, you know, and and to really look at your past, and I mean, so many things flash, and in, in flashed in my mind's eye, you know, and so many, you know, just looking at my life and and looking at, you know, what how it turned out and how I turned out and the things that I had done and you know the things that happened to me. You know, all everything is just there. Um. Mm. And you mentioned that your thoughts, the th- mm. your thoughts about the guy who testified against you, you said that they changed. What, what were your thoughts at that time, like when you were fighting it? What were your thoughts about him in that moment? Well, there was there was a point. There was a huge turning point in how my, how my I started doing my time. There was a point where I was, I, I actually had appealed my sentence. So I was working on my appeal process and still carrying all this anger at the person that had um, testified against me. And, I, and, and also this incredible anger at the system. It's like, how can this system be so messed up that I'm doing all this time for drugs I didn't sell? It's like, I didn't sell these drugs and I'm doing all this time for this. You know, and then there was this twist where, like, it's it's almost like the, the universe came and just knocked me upside the head or something. And it was like, you know, wake up, Mike. You know, what you were doing was wrong. It was bad. It was had a negative effect on you and, and lots of people, families. And, and then at that point, I just dropped my appeal. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to do my time, and and I dropped my appeal, and and at that moment, it was like this huge weight had lifted off my shoulders, and and then it was at that point that I, I mean, I had, I had already been focused on on changing my life and doing whatever I could to to improve, you know, my chances when I got out. But at that point, it was like this shift, and it was like, okay, now all my focus is on me and, and when I get out in the future and 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 everything in between. <laughs> yes. Uh-uh. You stopped fighting it, and you accepted, like, I was actually selling drugs, so I'm just going to go with this. I'm going to stop fighting it. Yeah, yeah. And it, was, it sounds like it really changed kind of everything about where your focus could be. Yeah, and it was an, an, a real, a real acceptance, I think, too, and and of, and of truly taking responsibility for the fact that you know just because I was doing time for drugs I didn't sell, you know, I, I didn't actually get caught for the ones I did sell. So it, it, you know, and it seems like a no-brainer now, but at that time it was just you're, it was in this like vacuum of just fighting and being so mad at everything, you know, the system, and and it's like you know and what I had to go through growing up and everything that led up to that moment. And, yeah, that was, that, I definitely identify that as being a huge turning point. 
So I want to I want to shift now to you. Um, so you find out that you have a seven year sentence, and what were your fears then, as you anticipated that seven years? I mean, what were you imagining it was going to be like? What, what were you picturing in your mind? Well, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of fear around what it's going to be like in prison. Um, you know, seeing movies about prison and hearing people talk about experiences and so it's you know it's very very scary not knowing you know what what's going to happen yeah so you know the stereotypes of course about male prisons are that they're incredibly uh, they're violent and that there's uh, you know sexual mm-hmm. assault and that there's an enormous hierarchy and that you have to be so tough all the time and I'm curious to know was it is that how much of that is true in your experience? Well, I was very fortunate that the facility that I ended up getting sent to did not have a lot of that going on. Um and and much of that you know, the violence and the sexual assault and and all that is true. I mean, that happens in a lot of a lot of prisons are very very hard. It's hard for me to speak of that because my experience wasn't I didn't have to experience a lot of that. Um one of the things though um we've been doing this series on incarceration for a few weeks and I've been able to speak to a woman who was in prison and and her, what she describes is her very first day she was a number of women came forward to help her like they gave her toiletries or they brought her things to help her kind of take care of herself and orient her the first day and I was a little surprised by that and I'm curious when you first got there to the actual prison kind of you know the new guy in the block not knowing did were there men who reached out to you to help you Yeah 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 I I um I mean I ha- I had some really incredible <laughs> I was very grateful to met a lot of um very very helpful people. It really um, touches you to remember that. Mm. Yeah. Is it okay to talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. Is there yeah. is there any mm-hmm. anyone in particular that you is there a story about how someone helped you in those early mm-hmm. days? Well, I had um one of my it, he ended up becoming a really really close friend um when I got when I got there I was I was about 250 pounds. I was really overweight. I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Um so I was still like in the county jail you can't smoke and then when I got there you could smoke then. So and I I started smoking cigarettes again. Um, and I was really overweight, and he just um, pretty much became my like personal trainer, um, and it was just so great. And when we we played we played basketball, we played one on one basketball for for years, and um, we just had these grueling matches. And he worked in the education department, and. I, I, you know, was really determined to to change my life. That I really did not want to continue living the way that I had been living, and 
he was there for me in so many ways and he was a friend and he really he really helped me losing all, losing all my weight i ended up turning myself around and being in really really great great shape and you know i really met some great people inside that were just really down to earth people that got tied up in drugs and were doing really really long sentences and people who were trying to turn their lives around and head in a different direction when they get out so I know we're going to talk a little more about that in part two of this interview. Um, for today, I want to just talk a little bit more. I want to have a few more questions I want to ask you about really life in prison. Another stereotype that people have is how racially segregated prisons are. Um, was that your experience? Well, it wasn't. You know, of course, it's an interesting dynamic in prison in that if you're white, you're actually in the minority. Um, so that was that was kind of hard for me living, growing up in an environment where I didn't have a lot of interaction with different races. I w- didn't really live in a place where there was a lot of cultural diversity. Um, so that was another thing that was a big shock for me going to prison. Um, and you know, people hung out in the, in their groups, and it, it was very you know very much often racially. You know, segregated, but uh, the, the you know the instant once again the institution I was in it wasn't there wasn't a lot of like gang violence and stuff going on and um, you know and there was some of some things going on a little bit behind the scenes, but I didn't experience a lot of that. Um, one thing about the the federal system, I know, and 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 people in jail often talk about how much easier the federal system is than state prisons. And that's very much true, I believe, that um, state prisons can be a lot harsher of an environment than the federal prison. So the place where I was at, there was, once I got to the the federal system, there there was a lot of uh, sports going on. And I I played sports, so I kind of fit in with the different you know, with different races and of people. Um, so sports was a unifying yeah. force in the prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to ask you too about um, about whether there was a split or even maybe even a hierarchy around drug-related charges versus violent crimes. How did are people aware of what people are in there for? Is it something you talk about? How does that affect relationships? That distinction. Well, that's something you that isn't often talked about, but um, people generally find out in there what your what your crimes are. Um, people, there are a lot of people that hang out in the in the law library a lot and do a lot of legal research and stuff. So, you're it's very often that whatever you're charged with, you know, will be known. Um, and there is there is definitely a hierarchy in prison that if you're if you're in prison for a sexual a sexual assault on a minor or um, a molestation of kids or a rape, you are looked down upon in the, in a very very harsh way. So those things would become publicly known. Yeah, and a lot of times when they are, then I mean, in in state jails, people get killed 
for that, and they're usually not kept in general population. When you were actually in the prison, what was the hardest part of it? Was it, you know, all the losses of things you couldn't do? What, 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 you know, the conditions themselves, the noise, the terrible food? Was it what you were confronting inside yourself? What, what, what was the hardest part of being in prison? Oh, it was definitely the food. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, the food was bad, but <laughs> um, that's a tough question. I, I just know I know that one of the hardest things was just really looking at everything, looking at my life, looking at my failures. You know, looking at you know, thinking about the impact that I had on on other people. What impact did you feel that you had that caused you so much sadness? Well, it was at the time when I was selling drugs, there was definitely a part of me that was that felt like I was doing people a favor. That, you know, I used drugs to escape my pain and you know, and then looking back and realizing how messed up my life was and how I just made my problems worse and worse and and then just thinking about you know and cocaine is a really really bad drug it's you know can lead to so much heartbreak so much sorrow so much pain you know and to think that I you know I, I, I contributed yeah I mean yes people you know, I, I didn't twist people's arms, but, you know, I was, I, I definitely was part of a very negative thing. You know, when I looked back and fully accepted responsibility for my actions, that's, that's hard. Did you have people you wanted to make amends to or apologize to? I mean, sure, sure, there was... Um, I don't know, in a way, anybody that, everybody that may have touched that stuff. Right. I mean, a lot of it was, you know, distance. I didn't see, I didn't, I didn't really see the firsthand results. There was a very limited amount of people around me that were like me. They were really hurting and really messed up. You know, it's in, it's interesting now where I stand now in my life and and how I feel about who I am as a person now. That um you know, I I I really am in a place where I'm extremely grateful. Um for the time that I did and all that I've learned and all the growth that has happened uh, since then and during my time that and it's a, it's a hard thing to say um, but it's true there's definitely a part of me that's extremely grateful so what I'm hearing is that well at the time Getting a seven-year sentence felt like a travesty and an injustice. 
what I'm hearing you say is that, in fact, the fact that you were and it did end up in a federal prison had longer time. Ultimately, you you used that time to, in fact, turn your life around. Yeah. And that you ended up receiving that as a gift. Yes. Yeah. So I want to hear so much about that, and I think we're going to leave that for part two. So next week, we're going to have another conversation, and I want to hear about how you used the time that you served to really get, you know, you obviously got so much out of it, and I want to, I know that you participated in something called the Jericho Circles, and that that has had a pivotal role, and that you that now you lead those. So... Um, why don't we say we'll come back to that next week? So if you're just joining us, my guest is Mike, who is talking about the seven-year sentence that he served in federal prison for a drug-related charge. Uh, he was released in 2005, and we will be recording part two of this interview, which will air next week. This is WMPG, and if you have a story about incarceration you'd like to share, please email me at dranne at safespaceradio.com. If you didn't get to hear the whole show, you can go to our website at safespaceradio.com. You can sign up there to receive a weekly email with that week's show. You can download the show from iTunes, and you can download us from Facebook. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show, Maurice Lennon for the music, and Jim Russell for being our consultant. Coming up next is Speak Freely.